0: I want to say that Alex saved the best for last, but I don't want to set you guys up for disappointment. Uh, Good morning to you guys. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Truly, it is an honor to be here at Chatham Community Church. Um, Last night as I was praying, kind of going through the last little segments of my message, just taking some time to pray and reflect to see what God would say to us today. And here's what I heard. Don't give up. It's been a long two and a half years. Can I get an amen? It's been a long two years, and it's left us topsy-turvy. And I just want to remind you that whatever your story is, our stories matter to God. Can I get an amen there? Our stories are meant to be shared. They're not meant to be shamed. And so I just want to... Propagate this message to us that we do not need to give up, and I'm going to pray for us, and I'll introduce myself a little bit more. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for allowing me to be here. I pray, God, for this message, that you would use it for your namesake, for your glory through each and every person in this room today. Thank you for our online audience that's watching this morning. Thank you, God, for them, and I pray that you would use it just as much for them as people in this room. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so a little bit about me. My name is Corey Alley, and uh, I am from Concord, which means I left about 6.45 this morning to come, so I'm awake. Um, and I'm uh, 42 years old. I've been married for 15 years. Uh, you can see a picture of my family there. My wife is Betsy, who have been married uh, 15. I met her at the 2003 Super Bowl between the Carolina Panthers and the New England Patriots. For you guys who don't remember, that was the wardrobe malfunction day. We missed it, we did a Bible study. But anyway, I married I met her, I married her, and then those other two girls there are my daughters, Noel and Eden. Noel is an eighth grader, and my other daughter, her name is Eden, and she is a sixth grader, so I have two kids in middle school, so you guys can please pray for me. I'm saving a lot of money for those weddings down the road, uh, but they are a joy and a light to my life, and uh, they say hello, they're all serving at their church this morning. A little bit about me is, I'm 42 years old. I did not grow up in church. I moved to the North Carolina area about 1990. My dad was a construction worker, my mom was a nurse. Uh, We were Creasters. for you guys who don't know that, meaning we went to church Christmas and Easter. And uh, by the time I was 16 years old, I didn't even really want to go to Christmas and Easter services at all. And so my lifestyle led me down a lifestyle of drugs and alcohol and all that life would have me lead with that kind of lifestyle. When I was 21 years old, I had some bad news about a girl that I was dating. That bad news, plus all the stuff that I've been doing for the last three and a half years of my life, led me to try to take my life. I wound up in a hospital, and uh, I'd seen this scene before because my father had tried to commit suicide two or three times before this, and I knew there was going to be a lady that would come into the hospital and ask me if I wanted to live or die, and so she did. And because I knew that if I said I don't know she was gonna take me to a holding facility for about 72 hours, I lied. I said, of course, I I just made a big mistake. But whenever she left that hospital room, I asked that question to myself, do I really wanna live or do I really wanna die? And I knew enough about God, so I asked this question, God, there's gotta be more to life than this. And I don't know what you guys believe about the audible voice of God, but I believe I heard the audible voice of God in my heart and he said there was. And I wound up in this little church about five miles away from where I lived, and it was a very country church, country as country can be. Everybody wore these big shields on their buckles. They called them I thought the bigger the buckle, the bigger, more spiritual they were. They were uh, I don't even know what to call them anymore. Uh, The the worship leader, the first day I walked in there, you guys have a great worship team. Can we please give it up for our worship team? It was an older gentleman who loved Jesus very much and he was a Baptist church and they sang Victory in Jesus, it's like the Christian national anthem. And so he was singing Victory in Jesus, every single time he would say victory, he would jump up like this and his toupee would jump up at the same time. (laughs) But the one thing that this church showed me that I was so desperate for was love. They looked nothing like me, we were from two completely different stratospheres of life but they showed me love. And this is what gave me the desire to plant churches. And so, after that year I was with that church, I went to Africa, spent a year in the mission field, and then came back, worked as a youth pastor for a couple of years. And then, for the last 15 years, I've dedicated my life to planting churches. I love planting churches. I love, on the ground level, of starting something and seeing God's people come together and do something incredible. About a year ago, in addition to starting this church called Sojo, about three and a half years ago, uh, I was working with an organization called Carolina Movement. My, my, my boss was here last week, Chris, and um, I was at the Carolina Movement Church Plant. And so, about a year ago, we were at our national gathering, our statewide gathering, and they advertised for a, a position called Executive Director. And so, I went up to Chris and I said, This job's for me. And I was scared to do that, like just to go up there and kind of boldly and say, I really feel like God's called me to do this. And Chris called me and said, or told me, he said, I'm getting ready to go on vacation. I'll call you about two weeks. I thought that was a polite way of saying, no, you're not the dude. And in about 15 minutes, he said, hey, can we talk again? And I was like, oh, here it is. No, it's not for you. But anyway, he called me and says, I think you're the guy too. I just had to hold my breath. I didn't want to seem too excited. So for the last year, I've been pastoring this church called Sojo, as well as helping Chris run Carolina Movement. I know he shared with you guys, so I don't want to redouble down with that, but I want to help you guys understand what you guys are doing in and with Carolina Movement is making a difference to help people find Jesus. Can we get an amen for that? A hallelujah. Come on. That's good stuff. You guys are doing that. We're doing that together. The scripture that I have for you guys today comes out of Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. So if you have your Bibles or if it'll be on the screen here together, but there is something I want to say, kind of like a bottom line nugget that I want you guys to take away today. And that bottom line is this, is knowing Jesus deeply and intimately is the key that unlocks the door that we all long for. Knowing Jesus deeply and intimately is the key that unlocks the door that we're all longing for. Think about that as we read this scripture. Philippians chapter three, verse 12 says this. This is Paul talking to this church in Philippi. and He says, not that I've already reached this goal or that I'm perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I've also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what is behind and reaching forward towards what is ahead. Paul's saying, don't give up. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. The first time I heard or read this scripture was on the heels of a disaster in my life. I was about to go to Africa to live as a missionary for a year, which was something very uncomfortable because I didn't grow up in church I didn't know church, and so here I was gonna go serve God in His church. I was a little scared, but I had this sweet saint, her name was Kathleen. She was my grandmother, and she was the one person who understood how God had transformed me because for the last five years she had been praying so hard for me to be transformed. My parents were still nominal Jesus followers at best, but my grandmother, she was the one I would call, she was the one who was praying for me, she was the one who was cheering me on. And on the Christmas Eve Eve, my father and I went to go see a movie, and it was seven days before I'm leaving to go for Africa, and I remember walking into my house. We have a screen door. The door was open, and I saw my mom on the phone, and as we walked through the door, the phone drops. My grandmother was supposed to be there that day, but she wanted to hang out with her church buddies. She went to a Christmas cantata with all her blue-haired ladies. And then she was after the church service, she was hanging out with her friends, and there was one lady who was getting ready to leave, and she got in her car, and she put the car in drive. At least that's what she thought. She put the car in reverse and hit the gas and didn't realize and ran over my grandmother, and in an instant, she was taken. And so here I am, along with my family, grieving and mourning as this saint who had been praying for me and praying for our family and just the head of our Family is gone. And I'm six days about to leave and change my life forever. And I'm processing, like, God, do I go? Do I leave my mom? Like, what do I do? And I've never really read the Bible. This is the first time I'm actually reading the Bible for myself. I'd had one, I'd seen it, I know what it was, but I was actually, for the first time, as a Jesus follower, beginning to explore this Bible. And I come across this passage. And I had three choices. The pain of this situation could paralyze me. I can move forward towards the future that I feel like God had for me. And Today, I feel like we're in a similar situation. Not that this tragedy has struck us, but all of us have this kind of juxtaposition of do we move forward or do we hang out in the past? And today, what I really want to say is that we as people need to learn from the past and not live I wonder how many of us would be bold enough — you don't have to raise your hand — but how many of us would be bold enough to say, you know what, I'm allowing the past to live in me and not learn from the past. We can live in the past in two different, very different ways. It can hold us captive because of life's failures, or it can hold us captive because of life's successes. Think about it financially. Some of us continue to make the same mistakes over and over, not learning from the past mistakes. And some of us are reveling in the past and how we've been able to be successful because of the decisions that we've made. Relationally, some of us — and if we — I know we don't want to put that on display in our marriages — we're going through the same mistakes over and over. It's like a hamster wheel running over and over and over, running so fast but going nowhere. And some of us in our relationships, if we'd be honest and here, are looking at the partner and said, you know what, I've done enough for you. It's my time. You pay attention to me. You love me. How about emotionally? Some of us have baggage that we've been holding on way too long, like at the airport, doesn't want anybody to touch it, yet our arms are shivering and shaking. And some of us are looking at other people with that kind of bag and say, at least I'm not like that person. Spiritually, some of us in here, we feel like we're okay because we gave our life to Jesus at VBS in 1943 and haven't progressed since. Or we look at ourselves, we say, we live in the South, we're American, we have Southern fried Christianity, and it tastes just like chicken. Can I get an Amen. While I was preparing this message, I was in a Starbucks and I looked at a gentleman. And I was kind of looking up from the message and I saw that he had a tattoo all the way up his arm. Now, I've got a couple tattoos myself, and usually any kind of tattoo means that a person has a story to tell. They are marking their body because something has happened that they want to uh, memorialize. And as I'm staring at this tattoo going all the way up his arm, it was a tattoo of a tree, and I remember thinking to myself, this guy's got a story. And if you guys can lean in with me right here, because this is where I really want you guys to lean in, because I just wanna remind you that you guys have a story too. That each one of us, our lives matter to God, that our stories that we've gone through, whether good or bad, are meant to glorify our Savior and help other people. Sometimes we allow our past to be shamed and, not allow it to be shared. And this is kind of where I want to go back to that idea that knowing Jesus deeply and intimately is the key that unlocks the door that we long for. This morning I I spent a lot of time in the car, and as I'm spending time in the car I, I thought about this, like if I'm going 85 down 85, or up 85, which might have been a crime in certain sections, but you guys won't tell anybody, right? if I'm going 85, down 85, and I'm constantly looking in my rearview mirror, what's going to happen? Two things, right? Either I'm going to slowly sit on the, the brake pedal for a long time until I come to a complete stop and hopefully that's the decision I would make, or as I continue to look at the rearview mirror going 85, what's going to happen? There's going to be a crash. And what if some of us in this room are living life like if I was looking in the rearview mirror for over and over? How many of us have paralyzed ourselves, Or how many of us are setting ourselves up for a giant crash in life? I don't think anybody in this room wants their lives to be stuck. Nobody wants their lives to be lived in the rearview mirror. I don't think if I asked you guys to raise your hand, if you want your life to be lived in the rearview mirror, anybody would raise their hand. Everybody wants to move forward. But what's keeping us from moving forward? I beg you to ask that question of yourself today. What is keeping me from moving forward? What has happened to me or what have I done? What is keeping me from going the direction that God wants me to go? And I just want to say like, what if, like what if we allowed the pain of the past and asked the Lord of the future to redeem it all? What if we allowed the pain of the past and asked the Lord of our future to redeem it all? It reminds me of this, uh, a couple stories that I have, there's this lady named Libby Kane and I was a young pastor, it was like when I planted my first church. And I was probably there like a year. And I get this phone call out of nowhere from a lady that I don't know, and her daughter had been murdered at 18 years of age. And I sit down with this lady. I never met her in my life, and I remember just trying to be there and mourn with her because sometimes the power of the ministry of presence is greater than any words that I can say. And I remember asking her, how did she feel? And this words came out, she says, I don't know why, but I just trust God. And I remember just being mesmerized, how in the world, after your daughter's been taken from you, can you trust God? And then I think about this guy in my church, his name is Ray Udi. Ray Udi is a great guy. He wasn't attending church before the pandemic, but on Mother's Day 2021, his wife took her last breath after she died from COVID. Mother's Day. What adds insult to injury is five days later, his daughter gave birth to their first granddaughter. And I know that we all have stories like that, but I remember now, Ray is constantly in our church, and is he still reeling? Is he still dealing with stuff? Yes, but he's serving the Lord incredibly. There's another lady in our church, her name is Judy Scott, January 3rd, 2021. She died. I don't know how many of you guys know what an aortic aneurysm is, but her Uh, aorta blew up, and she was airlifted to the hospital and spent three and a half months in the hospital. And the next six months went there twice, every — two times, almost twice, every single week. She's lost both the functions of her kidneys, and yet she still is finding a way to serve the Lord despite her situation. Five days after my 30th birthday, I remember this day clear as day, it was my 30th birthday. All my family was going to go out to dinner and my dad was upstairs and we were all going out. He never came down. And I remember thinking, oh man, he won't even come down and see us on my birthday. We're all going to celebrate. And then the next day I get a phone call, he took his life. And then they asked me to do the funeral, and yet, despite all these bad things like There is still a sovereign God who knows what's going on and why it's going on and is asking us not to be paralyzed by the past. Here's what I just want to say. The pain of the past can either push me closer to the heart of God or further away, and one will make me better and one will make me bitter. It's our choice. So, what does Paul say? What does the Scripture say? Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward towards what is ahead. Paul saying, I ain't giving up. I pursue as my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying to us? I think that like one of the biggest things for me that Paul's saying to us is I ain't perfect. I'm still in process. Is anybody in process in this room today? Has anybody achieved it all? They can say, like, I'm the example, shining star. Anybody bold enough to raise their hand there? No, not at all. Here's Paul the Apostle who wrote half of the New Testament saying, I'm still in process. I'm a work in progress. I'm not perfect. I haven't attained it all. And it's just so awesome to hear that because sometimes we get so down on ourselves and condemn ourselves so much. And it's the voice of the enemy that's condemning us, not the voice of God. So what is Paul saying to us? He's saying, I'm not perfect, I'm still in process, and we are still a work in progress. Number two, he says, stop looking in the rearview mirror. And again, I just want to ask, like, who would be bold enough to say, like, I'm living life in the past? How many guys are dealing with that today? Number three, I think, is the greatest thing that Paul is saying is, Christ is the prize. Some of us, if we're honest, we're coming to Christ to have a good life. Amen? I I mean, like, I feel that way sometimes. We come to Christ. We come to church. We want to do the right thing so God will bless us. The greatest blessing that God can give us is not finances, not a good life. It's Christ himself. Christ is the prize. And lastly, don't give up. Press in. And when I think about this idea of pressing in, this is, I was thinking about an acronym, and so I came up with this name, this acronym of FOCUS, and how do we focus on the right things? So, if you guys would let me walk you guys through this acronym of FOCUS. So, how do we realize that we're still a work in progress? How do we stop looking in the rearview mirror? How do we get Christ as a prize? How do we give, not, not giving up, but pressing in? And the idea, the idea that I want to give away is FOCUS. The F is fix. To fix my mind on something, we need to set our minds on the Lord and His will for our life. The next one is O. Our outlook, our point of view, our filter by which we see the world. You know, I was with a guy by the name of Ed Stetzer a few weeks ago, and he said that most people in this world have a filter by their choice of cable news network. Do you watch Fox or do you watch CNN? And we are filtering each other based on that. And if we are filtering, if we have our outlook based on what cable news network we watch, we have got it so wrong. Because we are called to fix our eyes, fix our perspective on something greater, and that greater thing is Jesus. Fix our outlook on Christ, this idea of the Gospel, and the best way that I can explain the Gospel, if you guys will allow me, is called the cradle, the cross, and the crown. The cradle is that Jesus was born of a virgin in this manger. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Can I get an amen, somebody? That's who we worship today. And he went to the cross for our sin, the sin that we we know about, the sin that we don't want to show other people. He died for each and every person in this room and every single person in Chatham County. Can I get an amen? And then he got a crown because he rose from the dead. And this is our hope, please. This is our hope because he rose again and I place my faith, I place my life. I place my outlook, I place my mindset, I place my trust, I, trace, I place my belief, I place my everything in His hands, and I'm trusting if I do that, that I will rise just like heroes, and I have to fix my outlook on this Jesus, this cross, this cradle, this crown, this idea of the gospel, and I have to do it unopposed. It's got to be first, and how many of us would really say today that my relationship with Jesus is the main course of my life and not the pudding at the end? I like pudding. I know y'all can see it. I love pudding. Pudding's great, but Jesus is supposed to be the steak. So many of us, Jesus is something that we add on, not something that we truly, truly Allow to be first and forever in our lives. We live a life where so many things are trying to collect our attention and our affection. And Jesus needs, he needs to be first. Is he first in your life today? If you were running a race and it was your work and your relationship and your finances and your school and your kids and Jesus, where does he come where does he rate? Where does he place? And you ain't got to be honest with me. I'm leaving today. And Alice will be back next week. Hallelujah, right? Aren't you guys excited for your pastor to be back next week? Amen. You guys can. Yeah. Yes. 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 Alice, if you're watching, I love you, man. But Jesus has got to be first. We have to fix our outlook, our our point of view, our filter on Jesus, this cross, this cradle, this crown, and it's got to be unopposed, and it needs to be systematically. Systematically meaning having regular rhythms to make this happy or happen. And I had this thought, and it may like touch your toes a little bit, and I'm sorry if it does. Tell me a person that you love that you don't spend time with regularly. That you don't talk to, that you don't write cards to, that you don't text message. And how many of us don't take time to spend time with the Lord apart from Sunday morning and yet say that we love Him? But we don't take time to communicate with Him. So we have to have a daily rhythm, we have to have a weekly rhythm, a monthly rhythm, a yearly rhythm to focus on Him. I am. Um, If I'm honest with you, I am like tipping my toe in the water. Any of you guys ever like have one of those books like you're scared to read? Anybody? There's this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it's by this guy by John Mark Comer. And I'm like dipping my toe, it's like, I don't know if you guys remember the book Radical by David Platt. Like, I was scared to death I was gonna read that book and I was gonna have to sell everything and move 12,000 miles away so I didn't ever open it. I was like, I ain't doing it. But in this book, he talks about this theologian called Dallas Willard. And Dallas says this, and I, I just want to give this away, because how many of you guys walk through the doors this morning and you ask, hey, buddy, how you doing? Man, it's just so busy right now. Did you have, raise your hand if you had that conversation here today. All y'all, I have one hand, all y'all liars. How many times do you go up and talk to somebody, how, how you doing? Busy. Is not everybody in this room busy? What if busyness is the one thing that is leading our world to brokenness? And Dallas Willard says that the enemy of the gospel is busyness. The lack of the ability to take time to focus and have a regular rhythm about meditating on who God is and what He does. Yesterday, I started another book called Crazy Love. I know it came out like 20 years ago, but I didn't read that one either, so I'm reading that one too. And he talked about this idea of pulling back and seeing the world from God's point of view and how the grandeur of God is. And if you saw the world, if we took time and looked at the grandeur of this world, the one thing that we could not help ourselves from doing is worship. Think about the time you go to the mountains and you see for miles and miles and miles and you stand back and you say what? The glory of God. We've gotta figure out a way to do that daily and weekly and monthly, but we're too busy. You know, another theologian said, hurry is not the devil, I'm sorry, hurry is not of the devil, but hurry is the devil itself. Think about that. Our busyness is the one thing leading us to brokenness. Another guy said, the ignored soul will not go away, but it will go awry. The ignored soul will not go away, but it will leave. It will go its own way. I think you have this on your screen, but the greatest danger is not that the people in this church or the church will renounce its faith. And I need you to settle on this for a second. The great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, but in fact, we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Can I remind you, don't give up, you're made for more. Can I remind each and every person, no matter where you're at in your walk with Jesus, haven't started it, been walking it for 50 years, God has made each and every one of us for more. Yet so many of us are living life on a treadmill. I know I don't walk a lot, but I do. I'm trying to walk like six miles a day. And it's been so terrible outside, like July. Like, you already see me sweating up here. Like, imagine me outside walking for six miles. Like, it's just a, so I got to go walk on a treadmill just so I can not sweat as much. But you're taking thousands of steps. And what are you doing? Are you going somewhere? No, you're not going anywhere. You're walking, you're walking, you're walking, you're walking, but going nowhere. How many of us in life were so busy going so many places, but yet in God's eyes going And so again, I want to say it again, like knowing Jesus deeply and intimately is the key. You know, last week at church, I'm a huge Carolina Panthers fan, and I'll just go ahead and say it. I love Cam Newton. Y'all can hate me all you want. I don't love him like I'm in love with him. He is my bro crush. I've got three different jerseys all signed — I mean, like I, I'm, I'm a fanatic, okay, so it might be even sinful that I'm saying this on stage. But anyway, I, I got all this Panthers gear, and I had all this Panthers gear all my church had given me. I said, if I show up to the Panthers stadium and I got all my gear on but I don't have a ticket, will they let me in? And the answer is no, why? Because I need a paid-for pass. Somebody had to pay my way in to get me there. And so many of us in the church, like we have all the fan gear, we say the right words, but do we know him? Not know about him, but know him deeply and know him intimately. So if you were born before 1987, raise your hand. You might understand this next thing. If you were born after 1987, you still might know this, but I just try to gauge the room a little bit. Raise your hand, all the 19, uh, after, 18, all the older folks are like, yes, that's me. All the younger folks are like, I don't know about this. If you're under, like, but born after 1987, raise your hand, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Uh, have you heard of the band U2? Thumbs up, thumbs up. Uh, one of the greatest albums ever alive, The Joshua Tree, right? There was a song. And Bono wrote these lyrics and like you have to give me extra grace because I might even sing but I don't sing well. And it says this, I believe in the kingdom come then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and Loose the chains, you carried my cross, of my shame, of my shame. And you know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I believe that there is a wandering soul in so many of us, and we deeply know that we are made for more, but strangely, instead of searching for the creator and the fullness of who he is, we settle for the creation and a cheap knockoff. Like a child setting, settling to play in a sandbox when the beach is a less than a block away. To know Jesus deeply and intimately today, I'm asking you, like, how do you need to respond to him? And I'm asking you to respond in three ways, and I'm not going to ask you to come forward, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, I just want you to think in your heart, like, how do I need to respond to Jesus? And those three ways is number one, to take his hand, to trust him. Maybe you're going through a rough period in your life, and today, you just need to say, like, Lord, I need you, I need to know you deeply, I need to know you intimately. Help me walk through this season. Maybe you don't know God and maybe today taking him by the hand means like I am going to trust him for the first time in my life and begin this idea of a faith journey like you did so many years ago, Corey, to believe in the cross, to believe in the cradle and to believe in the crown. And then maybe some of us in here, we've just walked away. The season of life has let us walk away from God and today we need to take his hand again have a good idea that most of us in the room, we need to settle down and slow down. We need to make room for the Lord in our lives first. I want to ask how many of us today that we're wrestling with that, we're so busy, yet the one thing that is eternal is the one thing we put on the back burner. And do you need to respond and say, God, I'm sorry and put him back on the throne of your life rather than whatever is there today. And then thirdly, how many of us, like Elsa, need to let it go? Like we've hurt someone and we feel guilt and we need, feel shame and we need to let it go. Or somebody has hurt us and it's time for us to let it go. And believe me, I know that there are issues in this room that would rock my world to the core. And I'm not pretending to say that I understand all of it or make any light of it in any way, shape, form or fashion. I'm just here to say that I've got my own knife wounds as well. And not only do I have my own knife wounds where people have stabbed me, I've stabbed others. Today, I believe the Gospel teaches us to do two things, to forgive ourselves because God has forgiven us, but also to forgive those. I believe that's the Lord's Prayer. Forgive me as I forgive who? Those who have sinned against me. So how do you need to come to the throne room of God as we sing this song, You Make Me Brave? As you think about that idea that God makes me brave, why does he make me brave? Because I know him deeply and I know him intimately. Take him by the hand, slow down and put him first. And what is it that you need to let go? Would you guys stand with me this morning? Father God, I pray a blessing and a prayer over every single person in this room. I don't wanna pretend to know where they're at, what they're dealing with, but I do pray that you've allowed me to speak deep into the recesses of their heart. And I know, God, that you do not want us to leave this place unchanged. But instead, God, you want, to be tra- you want us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And for those, God, who have walked away and need to take you by the hand, God, allow them in this moment to say, Father, I need you. For those who are so busy and have taken you off the throne of their lives and replaced it with something else, God, allow them in this moment to say, I'm sorry. God, I need to put you first. And those who are reeling from life's tragedies and hurts and pains, God, I do pray, God, to help them through the power of the Holy Spirit to let go.